This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB, joining us today via Skype. Well, are charter schools public or private? Do they pick and choose who they can enroll? And who oversees them? Well, today we'll discuss these questions and more with our guest, Dr. Lisa Kamachara, Executive Director for Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board. And we'll speak with Yolanda Davis to get a parent's perspective. Plus, we'd like to hear from you. Give us a call with your questions or comments at one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Well, good morning, Tara. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing today? Doing fine. Believe it or not, this is our first time doing the show with you not actually being here with me. I know, right? It feels a little weird. I miss your smiling face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of um, holidays, how was your holiday? You know what? It was much needed. I got lots of rest and relaxation and got some things done around the house that I had not gotten done before. So it was a good, good holiday, long weekend. You have so many things going on. Tell us what's going on in the education department. We do. We're we're continuing to um, support our educators, students, parents. The one thing that we have talked about on the show that's up and going right now is our Teacher Features Project is where teachers have sent in some videos of themselves teaching one concept in under five minutes. So people can see those on our MPB Education Facebook page, and later on we'll have them all on the website. But we're enjoying watching what the teachers are sharing with us. Also, we are right now in the middle, almost at the end, of finalizing a distance learning grant that will allow us to upgrade our digital education network. We call it the DIN, of course. This is an interactive video conferencing network where a teacher can instruct students in a classroom hundreds of miles away. And we know that this particular service is very useful in our state right now. It helps to serve school districts, and it fills the gap when when there's no certified teacher available. Plus, we're hoping to upgrade with this grant to an out-of-school platform. We're currently registering schools for the upcoming fall session, and we're hoping more districts will take advantage of this free service that MPB offers. And if people want to learn more about it and get more information, they can go to education.mpbonline.org. But they don't have to wait for this grant to be finalized because the service has been going for years. And we are looking to um, sign on some new new schools and help those districts that are um, lacking certified teachers. Oh, that sounds so great. That's, those are the key things that we have going on right now. So I want to go back to your teacher features project. Tell us why that project is so important, especially now during this pandemic. Well, you know, during the summer, uh, we wanted to do a project that included teachers. And we um, this idea was brought to us by Mississippi Department of Education's um, Teacher of the Year, Hannah Gad Audrey. And we thought it was a great idea. And, you know, over the, over the summer teacher um, students lose a little of what they learned during school. And so we want to do our part in helping to um, those, um, not the the learning loss, summer learning loss, I've lost my thought there, um, to come back to summer learning loss. And so these teachers can teach concepts to help students 
and also give teachers new ideas on how to do things when they get back in the classroom. And that's why it's so important that we have, you know, a teacher-led project is always good because teachers are in there. They have their hands in it all, and they know what's going on and how to teach a certain thing that others that may help someone do it in a different way or help a young child learn something in a different way. So that's why it's important that we have our teachers lead this particular project. I love that. I love that idea again. And we're also throwing in some other videos from other, other people as well that want to teach something. So, you know, we're, we're doing informal and formal teachers as well. And if somebody wants to participate still, we will take your video, just go through our website and find out how you can submit it to us. All right. And what's that website again, Tara? education.mpbonline.org. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break. And when we get back, we'll welcome our guest to the show, Dr. Lisa Karmachara, Executive Director of the Mississippi Charter School Authorizing Board. Now, if you'd like to be a part of the conversation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. You're listening to Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, joining us today via Skype, Director of Education here at MPB. And today we're taking a look at charter schools in Mississippi. Well, let's welcome our first guest to the show, Executive Director of the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board, Dr. Lisa Karmachara. Good morning, Dr. Karmachara. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing great, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on this morning. Oh, I appreciate you coming on and and explaining exactly what charter schools are and how they benefit Mississippi. Tell us a little bit about you and your role with the Mississippi Authorizer Board and how you got started in education. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that question. Um, I actually got started in education, um, I must say, a very long time ago, (laughs) nearly 30 years ago. Wow started out teaching um, special education um, in uh, the Rankin County School District. And I taught there, and then um, I've had opportunities to teach. I've had opportunities to lead as a, a principal, as a, um, an assistant principal, as a federal program director, curriculum and instruction, as a superintendent. And, and then my last past six years prior to this, 
I served as the executive director of the Mississippi Association of School Administrators. So I've had a long and exciting career in public education, and I love what I do, so I'm, I'm glad to be on this continued journey of, of public education in Mississippi. That is a very experienced um, <laughs> background, so we appreciate having you on. Thank you. Has it always been your dream to work in the field of education? You know what? It um, it has, really. I started out, um, I went to school um, after I got out of high school, of course, I went to school. But I got star- interested in special education because of... Um, one of the things that I did in high school as a service project, I worked with the, some children from the Mississippi um, School for the Blind, and um, and so I, I got really interested in what I could do and how I could serve the underserved population in particular, those children who had significant needs, whether it was academics or physical or emotional, um, you know, disorders or things like that. And so um, that's really what led me to to be um, an educator. Now, earlier this week, Dr. Karmachara, you explained to me perfectly what your role is with the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board and what you do. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yes, thank you. I would love to. So, um if you think about the authorizer board, you can think about it um, similar to the way you would think about the Mississippi Department of Education, where the Department of Education um, oversees our traditional public schools. The authorizer board oversees our public charter schools. And so our um, board is made up of um, seven people. One is appointed by the state superintendent. Then the other six, there are three appointed by the lieutenant governor and three appointed by the governor. And so we have a a board, and then I lead that board and our agency, which um, provides oversight and accountability to our public charter schools. We have a staff of three, so we're a small staff, um, but we are making great progress here at the Authorizer Board to ensure that we are transparent, that we hold our schools accountable, that we are providing um, you know, support and opportunities for our schools, and hopefully expanding um, our schools throughout the state where there's an opportunity and a need for those. Well, how long has that board been operational? Well, the law was actually signed um, in 2013, and I think they began operation in probably 2014. And, again, I've been with the board just about a year, so that gives you a little context for me and my experience, a little over a year now. But um, the board started operations then and then approved their first schools to begin operation in 2015. Hmm. What pushed you to make the switch? You were working in public schools and you were offered the position or was it something else that um, you said, I want to do this? Yeah, so actually um, I hadn't thought about the charter sector or the charter community in Mississippi other than what I, and I know very little about it, but um, I was approached by a couple of people who said, you know, we're searching for an executive director and we think you might be a good fit. Would you be interested? And my response was, well, I'm kind of settled right now, and I'm working from home, and I have this really great job, and um, I'm not sure I'm ready to, to make that switch. But I started researching and learning more and more about what charters do, and my 
my heart, where my heart is with the underserved population and recognizing that that is the purpose of charter schools is to serve the underserved in areas where there are not high-quality school options for families. I did a lot of research, and I thought, you know what, I can do this, and I can bring my experience to the table um, to ensure that these children and families have options um, where there are not maybe options for them now. So when you say underserved, can you um, explain that just a little more, go, just a little in depth for us? Sure. Um, so our definition of underserved, of course, is going to be the children who are um, in failing districts or D districts, number one, and then number two, the children who are um, special needs, the children who are academically at risk, the children who are English language learners, and um, and so that's that's kind of the um, broad brush look, but um, but yeah, the the underserved and serving the underserved is where our mission is. All right. So when we say charter schools, you know, it's been a lot of controversy all over the world. Oh yeah. Can you explain what the charter in charter schools means? Yeah, it's it's really a contract. It's really simply a contract. But let me first define, if I can, what a charter school is. Yes. So a charter school is a tuition-free, publicly funded school with open enrollment. They are independently operated, and they, in Mississippi, and let me back up and say, laws are different throughout the nation, right? And Mississippi has one of the best, well-written charter school laws across the nation. In fact, we're ranked number six in the nation um, in terms of our law and our statute. Um, Our schools can't be for-profit. They are subject to all state accountability, and they're designed, you know, flexible. So in in exchange for their flexibility and their autonomy, they have to meet specific standards, even beyond that of the state accountability model. So in our performance framework, we ask them to to go above that, and then we hold them accountable for that. Um, In Mississippi, our charter schools are supported by policymakers, by families, by communities, Um, And so we we are grateful for that support, um, and we look forward to to expanding in the future, um, offering more opportunities for more families. Wow. Well, how many charter schools are in Mississippi currently? So right now we have six schools. We have one that's in the pre-opening phase, and that school will open in Greenwood this fall. All right. Now, when you say open, what's the criteria or... um, uh, I, I know you guys are with the authorizer board, so how can someone, if someone, if I wanted to start a charter school, could I? <laughs> well, yes, you could, um, but it's an incredibly rigorous process. It takes about nine months to get through an application cycle, and it includes everything from your uh, governance to your academics to your schedule to um, your policies and transportation and your employment procedures, and it's a very extensive, um, robust application cycle that runs, again, about nine months. Um, Typically, we would have, you know, anywhere from six to 12 applicants, and we are very, um, very serious about only approving those schools that that suggest by their application that they're going to provide high-quality learning opportunities for children. 
So here's a question. You talked a lot of, um, you mentioned the, how you serve the underserved population and just the whole purpose of the charter schools. Can you answer what makes the charter schools different from state schools? Um, well, it depends on their model. So ev when they go through the application cycle, they can choose to do um, any type of model, present any type of model that they'd like. So maybe they want to do their model around a Montessori school model, or maybe they want to do it in a no-nonsense model. Maybe they'd like to operate a school that's just for middle schoolers, or an operate a school that's just for elementary school. And um, because our schools are, are LEAs, they're you know they're of course responsible for all the the state standards and ensuring that they are are accessing college and career ready standards at their academic um, level and the appropriate level. So it can be a design based on their philosophy. It can be a design based on their um, their model that they've had success with before, maybe in another state. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the things that makes them different. So can a charter school be all girls or all boys? Yeah, it could be. All right, Tara. And what curriculum is used? What um, I know you mentioned different. They can design it differently, but is there a uniform curriculum that's used? There. There are uniform standards. So our by by the contract, our charters are obligated um, to teach the Mississippi College and Career Ready standards. So they may choose to do that in a different way. They may use a, um, for example, they may use a scripted um, something like reading mastery in the lower grades or um, something different in the middle grades. But they they can deliver that instruction how they choose, but they are bound by those standards, the college and career-ready standards, and then they will be assessed against those standards. Currently, how many students are enrolled in charter schools in Mississippi? Yeah, we have about 2,200 children right now in our charter schools, and then um, nationally we have about over 3 million children. What are things that you guys are looking for? What's the criteria of a school being authorized? First of all, it needs to be a well, uh, several things, but number one, they've got to demonstrate through their application and through their capacity interviews that they can operate, that they're ready to operate in a legal, decent, and in order manner, that they are, are ready to serve children day one, that they have the finances in place, that they have support in place, that they have a governance governing board in place, that that governing board is... Um, uh, Strong in various areas, that it's diverse in various areas, that they may, that so that that governing board ensures that that school is operations are um, to the standards that we expect. I want to go back to the students. Thank you for that. Um, sure. What's the criteria for students who enter charter schools? Because as I understand it, only so many students are accepted. Well, they have open enrollment to begin with, so they, they don't – I know there's a real um, misnomer out there that charter schools cherry-pick their children, and that is absolutely not true. We have open enrollment at all of our schools, 
And in fact, our schools are obligated under the statute to enroll a certain percentage of special needs children, and that has to mirror the demographics within the district of where they are. So if a district has 10% um, a population of uh, special student, special needs students, then our schools also have to be reflective of that at 80%. So if it's 10% in that district, then we have to have 8% of our student population um, special needs. So there is open enrollment and there are, the criteria would only be around the grade levels, right? So um, they would be, um, if it's a school, a K-2 school, then once they are at capacity for their enrollment, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to enroll uh, above and beyond that. And in fact, our contract requires them at, to cut off at 120%. Well, thank you for that information. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about COVID-19 and how that affected the end of your school year last year and what your reopening plans are for this year. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Lisa Karmachara, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Kara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB, joining us today via Skype. Well, if you're just joining us, we're taking a closer look at charter schools in Mississippi with our guest, Dr. Lisa Kalmachara, Executive Director of the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board. Now, if you have a question or comment for our guest, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. Speaking of callers, we have our first caller for today. It's Evan from Memphis. Good morning, Evan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for calling uh, the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I actually own a company. We make educational materials for kids with special needs. And, and I wanted to clarify something that, uh, that our, our guest said. As I, as I understood, you said that, that the charter schools are really designed to cater to the special needs population. Uh, and and then you also had mentioned that you would also mention that the the charter schools are required to meet a similar demographic. So it it sounded as though there would be more underserved population at the charter schools, but then it seems to uh, it, it it seems as though the eight percent or whatever the percentage was would sort of go against that statement. Is it appropriate for me to respond now? Oh, yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Dr. Karmachar. Thank you for the clarifying question. So let me help um, understand. So help you understand that. So that, that's really not what I said about the – when I say the underserved, I, I mean the children who don't have an option in their community, so they are underserved by the traditional public school in this case where their school is a D or an F. 
we as um, our charter schools in Mississippi have to enroll by statute a percentage that's reflective of the demographics in that school district. So if they're located in Jackson, Mississippi, and the demographics are 10% of that total population is um, special needs, then our schools have to have at least 88% because they have to be reflective of 80% of the population of the 10%. The Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, to further, you know, a lot of a lot of schools, obviously, with COVID and everything like that, and, and you know, a lot of public schools are funded by property tax, state property tax, and things like that. Uh, do you find that there's different sorts of funding opportunities, different buying opportunities that, that charter schools have? I mean, you know, a lot of schools are, you know, they do bake sales, they do whatever it might be. Right. Uh, is there any regulations or anything like that with charter schools, or is it really just sort of the same thing? Uh, you know, also with some of the larger districts, there's, as with anything that's, that's large, there's a lot of bureaucracy that takes place. And, you know, it's a, it's a big process for a teacher to get, you know, some school, some materials that they need. And a lot of time they end up spending out of their own pocket. Uh, do you find the same sort of things happen in charter schools or, um, or is it, you I, know, is there a difference? Yeah. Well, you've asked several questions there, but I, I want to speak to the funding piece to begin with. So um, our schools are funded in the same way that the traditional public schools are because they are public schools. So when public schools in Mississippi see a decrease in their overall funding for MAEP, then our, t our schools too see that same decrease. So they are impacted in the same way. Where they um, have challenges beyond that of a traditional public school would be in their initial startup where they don't have MAEP dollars. Um, and where they're doing nothing but fundraising and trying to get loans to support them. They're at a disadvantage because they cannot do a bond issue to raise local taxes so, um, or to get local um, monies to support their school. So they are at a disadvantage in that way. And then they're also in a disadvantage in that they have to pay an authorizer fee, um, which is a portion of their, um, their overall dollars as well. So um, they, you know, the beauty of what Mississippi has done is that we've been able to coexist in a really um, collaborative way among the traditional public schools and work together and, um, and see a lot of growth and a lot of our schools have continued to grow. They have continued to grow in their, um, in their enrollments. They've continued to grow in their accountability and, in fact, our middle schools that are in the accountability model last year outperformed, in one case, over 300 traditional schools. Um, they had one of our schools, the Midtown Public Charter, had the highest growth in the state of Mississippi at 55%. We had one of our middle schools, uh, Smilo Prep, that um, outperformed over 170 traditional schools in the state. So we've, um, we've really seen exciting growth and opportunities for the children and the families. Our science scores were great um, and above state average at all of our schools. And both of our elementary schools that were in the model last year, their kindergarten readiness scores were above state average. So we've seen some really exciting growth and we see um, a lot of exciting things happening for the future.
Thank you, Evan, from Memphis. Those are some great, great questions. Tara, I know you had a question. Yeah, Dr. Lisa, I want to know, as you know, you've heard controversial thoughts about charter schools, and this is kind of on the same subject that you were just speaking on. This is not a news program. We do think this is a good opportunity for you to answer this question for our listeners. Opponents say that schools take money away from traditional public schools that are already hurting for funds. Some believe that instead of creating charter schools, why not improve traditional schools so that every student has access to quality education? What would be, what's your response to that? You know, um, I, I too have heard all of those um, comments, and um, I, I have to disagree that, number one, I think the beauty in this respect, okay, so the beauty of having a charter school is that you have a contract and you can operate or you can close. And if you choose to come in, you're going to have to do right by the people's money, by the people's children. So you're going to have to operate in a successful manner or you're going to close. In a traditional setting, you may fail, and in some cases in Mississippi this has happened, a generation of children. The more money that's gone in, there have been, they've changed superintendents, they've changed school board members, they've changed curriculums, they've changed leadership, and yet, yet still those schools are failing. And even though Mississippi has made amazing progress, over the past few years. Under Dr. Wright's leadership, I can say that we have gone um, above and beyond as a state and made tremendous gains in every metric that you look at. Um, we have improved and we are leading the nation in some cases. And so that is something to be grateful for and appreciative of. What the facts reveal, however, is that there are still 230 schools operating in the state at a D and an F, meaning that 100,000 children across the state of Mississippi are still in failing districts or D districts, which means that those families in that area don't have an option. And if we can give them a public option, then we can serve the children in a successful way where their academic journey can be successful. Well said, well said, Dr. Kamachara. Well, let's talk about your reopening plans in light of the pandemic. Um, have you guys been working on that this summer and discussing what you're going to do for the fall? Yes, ma'am. I think we've been working on it since <laughs> we uh, shut down in March. I'm sure. So um, we have had multiple conversations um, with our schools. We have school check-ins. We have um, also been engaged with what the Department of Education is doing as well because we work incredibly closely with them hand-in-hand, um, hand, I would say, on so many different levels. So um, through all those partnerships and our conversations with schools, our schools will operate um, in the fall on one of three models, and that would be the hybrid model, the traditional model, or a, um, a virtual model. So um, they'll have those options to choose from. Our schools are going to um, plan to open in a safe manner. But I can tell you, when we shut down, our schools stepped up to the plate and um, immediately began to operate um, in providing clear expectations to students, 
They, um, they were op operating in clear expectations to children, with clear expectations to children. They took on digital teaching and learning became the norm. They provided um, digital uh, devices by handing out um, those uh, hotspots and um, devices to families and um, to children. And whether they were learning on their phone or learning from a laptop, they were still engaged in learning. And so I have to commend all of our school leadership and our schools for stepping up to the plate immediately in March and making um, decisive and immediate decisions to ensure ongoing instruction and learning was taking place. I don't see it to be any different from the fall um, other than the safety precautions that are going to have to be in place for all of our schools. And that's going to be a challenge, whether you're um, in a hybrid situation or a traditional situation, that will be a challenge. I'm grateful for the CARES money that's going to help to shore up some of the dollars that we um, wouldn't have um, to help take care of some of the things that we'll need in place, um, whether it's um, sanitizers or cleaners or um, whatever else that might look like, and in particular, um, counseling because some of our children are going to be in need of counseling. Where can people go to find out more information about charter schools in Mississippi? Well, they can go to our website to begin with, which if, um, if you go, I'm going to make sure I give you the right number. We have a new website, so it's charterschoolboard.ms.gov. They can find out anything they want to know and then some about public charter schools. Thank you so much. And we will put that website on our podcast. And if you have any more questions or comments, you can email me at michelle.mcadoo at mpbonline.org or education at mpbonline.org. Well, it's time for us to take our last break of the hour. And when we return, we'll be getting a parent's perspective of charter schools from Yolanda Davis. Now, phone lines are still open. If you have a question or comment for the show, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB, joining us via Skype this morning. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been taking a closer look at charter schools in Mississippi with our guest, Dr. Lisa Karmachara. Mississippi Charter School Authorizing Board's Executive Director. Now we're going to switch gears and talk to a parent who has a student in charter schools. Let's welcome to the show now Yolanda Davis. Good morning, Ms. Davis. Good morning, Ms. McAdoo. How are you? We're doing fine here. How are you doing? I'm having a fabulous Friday. Glad that you can join us today um, for you to just explain from a parent's perspective charter schools and your experience. First, tell our listeners about you and your family. Okay. First of all, I am a mother of seven daughters and my sixth daughter 
uh, Joy Davis. She attended Midtown uh, Charter School in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, during the time when I was working at the medical mall uh, for Tougaloo and, um, like I said, the Jackson Medical Mall, there was a whole lot of hoopla and excitement that was in the air. Um, but me being from Ken uh, all of my life, I never got a chance to get over there. And so uh, my daughter, my fifth daughter, um, is now at the Tougaloo Michelle Obama Early College High School. And I was looking for a different experience because I was disgruntled. Um, I was at Wix Inn because I would have to take and go to school uh, with Joy to be able to find out the objectives that they were covering. And that was very tiresome. So I was stayed at about 1030 so that she wouldn't fall through the loop because uh, our school system was having so many belly aches and a big turnover and uh, staff and it was very disappointing for me. So now that I'm in an area that's foreign for me, I was looking for a different experience, and the charter school afforded me that opportunity. And I want to say this, by far it was a blissful experience. Um, the communication line was always open. Um, the persons from the front door to the back door, they would always go above and beyond the call of duty. And I want to say that, they made a great impression on me, one that I shall never, ever forget. Um, I even chose to remember their name. You know, a lot of times people say that people may not remember your name, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I just want to say by far, teachers, uh, well, I want to start from the beginning. When I first came over to do the registration for uh, George to attend this school, um, I'm wondering where the principal, because I wanted to meet everybody, where the principal was out taking a child to lunch for good grace and perfect attendance. And I'm like, wow, that one particular thing, paying attention to that one particular student, I like that perspective. And then Mr. Huddleston, oh, my God, great communicator, uh, motivator. I just believe that it starts with leadership. And I said, well, this got to be a fairy tale. These people never changed. They were that same way during the first, from the first day all the way to the end of school. And as I heard the young lady say that came on uh, before me, they went above and beyond the call of duty, making sure that uh, all of the students, no one left behind, not just a cliche, but it was really, really real. So they wanted to make sure that all of the children had computers, and I just loved it. And even after the children came home, um, I just want to say students such as Ms. Stewart, before they even came home, was willing to stay over with the children. So it's not a one-fit-all. Um, I was really concerned because I felt like there were some objectives that Joy missed because of the burnout, because of retired teachers having to come back in, because student teachers were teaching at the school where she came from. She missed some objectives. But I like the fact that just because she didn't catch on on day one, they stayed right there with her. So they had interventionists in place, and I love that. So um, that's my take. They had smaller uh, classroom settings. Uh, I like the sense of togetherness and them pulling together, everybody saying the same thing. And um, in order for children to be successful, I really feel, Ms. McAdoo, that they have to have caring teachers. They really, really do. And then it can't be the humdrum. The course has to be rigorous. It has to challenge the students so that they don't get bored. And what I really, really liked about the curriculum is that uh, Joy was able to be introduced to coding at the seventh grade level, and I thought that was fantastic. And so 
Uh, that's part of my take. I can go on and on and on. But the leadership, confident, poised, care for the children just like they were, they were their own children. And so that won me over. And I'm so glad she had an opportunity because where we came from, I wouldn't have had those options. You know, you had to go to a particular school if you stayed in a certain area. So the charter school afforded me to be able to have some options for my daughter. Sounds like your daughter has had a great experience in charter schools so far. What grade is she? She's it. She's leaving the seven, going to the eight. Well, Yolanda, thank you. I want you to stay on the line. We do have another question from a listener um, and from Biloxi, and, and actually it's for Dr. Kamachara. She's still with us. Uh, and what's your question or comment? Uh, yes, ma'am. My question is, why wouldn't... If we if we have if we give uh, charter schools flexibility uh, and hold them accountable in slightly different ways, I know they have to adhere to the same accountability model, but you have that contract uh, with them, so that is a different you know spin on accountability as well. If we had the same accountability and flexibility for public schools plus the funding that our publics, our traditional public schools need and haven't had full funding since 2009, which means also that charter schools haven't had their full funding either. But if we took, you know, if we held the legislature accountable and made sure that our traditional public schools have the bare necessities they need to become successful, why wouldn't we do that instead of creating a completely separate system from one inadequate bucket of money? Um, first of all, thanks for the question. I think it's a great question. Um, and um, with respect to, to, I guess, a couple of things here, respect to two different systems, I think the number one, your question about why wouldn't we give the flexibility to the traditional schools, we actually do that. In the accountability model, there is some flexibility for your higher performing districts. Your A and B districts are exempt from certain accountability standards and don't, I don't, I can't quote you those standards right now without looking back at the model um, and the process standards that are included. But they do have some flexibility, um, which is great, right? Um, and that's what we want. We absolutely want all of our schools to be successful, um, whether they're the traditional or the charter school. Um, I think that the primary difference that I see is what I said and spoke to earlier, and that is the time, right? So um, the time is all of our charters are, um, when they're approved, they're given a five-year contract. And if they don't perform, um, uh, in, again, around academics, organizational, or financial, then, um, then they don't get to operate after that once they go through the renewal cycle and they can't continue to fail children. Well, Dr. Karmachara, I apologize, but we have come to the end of this show. We could talk, probably talk about this for two more shows. It's so much great information. Again, we will put the website to charter schools on our podcast. I want to thank Ms. Yolanda Davis and say that her daughter attends mid 
Midtown um, Charter School. You mentioned Midtown earlier, Dr. Karmachara, and that is the school her daughter attends. If you have any questions or comments, you can also email the show or email me at michelle.mcadoo at mpbonline.org. We want to thank Executive Director Lisa Karmachara for joining us today. Mississippi Education Connection is in conjunction with MPB's Education Department and MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women and join us next week. This is MPB Think Radio.